Most of what we do, we don't do at all. You do. So what we will do is say thanks. For 52 weekends a year, for three campuses across our valley, for seats to sit in so people can attend, for lessons you taught so that our kids can learn, for opening your homes so groups can meet, for making us a family and not an organization, for every transition, every video, and every song, for every minute given, we say thanks. Good morning. Hello. Welcome to church. So glad to have you guys here. We are on an abbreviated time schedule today um, uh, with very intentional purpose at the end of our service. So I'm just going to get into it. I, I care how you're doing. I'm just not going to take the time to ask. Okay. So if you came in, didn't get a Bible or notes, you put a hand up. We'll get them to you right now. Good morning, Apple Valley. Good morning, Feeling. Good morning, Classic. Good night. Noises everywhere. Um, I've been here at the church for over nine years now. I'm, you know, a couple months into my 10th year at, at HDC. And for 13 years, I was a youth pastor. Um, that was my career. And I've retired. And um, in the last month and a half, I have switched part of my job. Well, part of my job is at seven here on Sunday nights. Part of my job is to teach. Part of my job is to do other things in the office. Um, but now on the weekends uh, and during the week, I will also be helping our church um, connect volunteers to, to ministries that they would do really well at. And this three weekend set has been talking about that same idea. I'm allowing you the opportunity to figure out what is it that I would do real well at here at the church, um, in God's kingdom at large, Um, maybe not even necessarily on our campus. It could be doing something else somewhere else. Because we think that there's a lot of strength in a big church. There's a lot of resources and opportunities provided to people and families and kids and senior adults and mission trips. But there's also a huge back door that if you don't feel like this is your church family, your church home, at a certain point, great services and great kids ministry isn't enough. And so every single year, we will remind you that we think there are three important decisions that you as an individual should make so that you make this not a service you attend, but a family you belong to. And those three decisions are picking a campus and a service. Meaningful worship is one of the things that it's important. The second decision you hear us talk about for the last few years pretty regularly, and that's meaningful relationships. Finding a small group that they know you and you you know them. And then the third decision that we want people to make is how can I find a meaningful role here at the church? How can I find a spot where I make a difference, where I make an impact? Um, And that is what we've been talking about these three weekends and ending our service quickly last weekend and this to give you the time to put our money where our mouth is and to let you have the time to have 15 minutes at the end of our service where we will keep taking care of your kids and you can walk around and explore maybe one of the opportunities to be involved on a team at HDC. And so we're going to wrap up our time looking specifically at that third question. How can I find a meaningful role at HDC today? And I want to share with you two concepts that I think are important as you consider how you can find a meaningful role at HDC. And the first is value. Value is an interesting proposition because different people find value in different ways. That's just the way life is. But I think there's been a large social shift in American culture during my lifetime. For centuries, for millennium, 
Human beings had to approach life in community. Whether you lived in a small village or a big city, there were things that you did communally. And now, uh, at this point in human history, I think, and maybe in tandem with the onset of the internet, um, uh, I, the individual, have rise. I can express myself as uniquely as I want to. Because it used to be like, let's say you lived in, I don't know, rural Lexington in, you know, colonial America. If you didn't fit the mold, okay, if you didn't like ruffly sleeves and a multi-brass button jacket, you, you didn't just break out of the, you just, you just went with it. That's how it was. You just had to go with the flow. But now fast forward, Twitter, Facebook, blogs, Instagram, Pinterest, I don't care what it is. There are so many different ways now where I can express my individuality so minutely and now all of a sudden I'm connected with, holy cow, wait, there are thousands of other people exactly like me? I had no idea. So now I can break the mold and fit into their mold altogether in a way that is unparalleled in human history. I can find all the random people just like me everywhere else in the world. And now we band together around that. But social, um, you know, like uh, scientists, leadership gurus, business people have been talking about my generation and younger entering the workforce. And when they go to look for a job, what sort of things are are they doing? What sort of things are they pursuing? And they are saying uh, across the board that it is a very selfish generation that is entering the workforce. And they're selfish expressed in this way. How can this company quickly recognize the gifts that I bring to the table? How quickly will I be able to be promoted? How quickly can I influence the agenda of this company? And it used to be for a long time that when I as an individual got a job, I understood if I'm going to go work for Edison, I better help Edison be a stronger company because it helps me and all my coworkers make sure that we've got a job. But that mentality is shifting in individuals and it it, it is fractured. It's, It's a collection of individuals trying to move together and be recognized for my individuality. I've got a friend who I went to um, college with, and he's a high school basketball coach. And the way he approaches this with teenagers uh, in today's culture of sports, he just says, if I walked up to you as an individual at school, and I wanted to intimidate you out of your lunch money, and I held my hand like this in your face, and I said, if you don't give me your lunch money, punk, I'm going to hit you with all my fingers. It would look like a Chris Farley skit from SNL. Now, I know Chris Farley is no longer on SNL. I know that's a dated reference. I don't know who's on SNL, so Chris Farley, okay? We can go old school, Dan Aykroyd, if you want. But it's like, this is not a school bully, okay? This is an SNL skit. He says, if you are a group of individuals that are out to express your individuality on my court, we will not intimidate anybody, okay? If you're willing to band together, be unified, and have one agenda, we can probably intimidate an awful lot of teams with how effective we can be. I think that people my age, maybe a little bit younger are trying to find value in how often I'm recognized. Simple recognition, media coverage. I mean, my 15 minutes of fame, every dog gets his day and everyone's looking to always have that day. But this is an issue because God did not design us to have value in that way. God, I believe, did design us to possess value. I mean, in the Garden of Eden, when things were still perfect, okay, untainted by our rebellion, not infected with sin, God still gave Adam responsibility. He still gave him a woman. He's like, man, you know what? I've created him in my image. Now I'm going to include things in his life that add to the value of his life. And so this is a statement I'll begin with today. 
that being recognized as valuable is never as good as doing something valuable. And this makes a ton of sense to probably a lot of people in our church this weekend. This statement is almost obvious to them. Why would you even need to articulate that being recognized as valuable is nowhere near as gratifying as doing something of value? But I think there are thousands and tens of thousands of people in our valley that would rather be recognized as valuable than try and figure out what in the world would I do in, in God's green earth that it actually has value. I think, you know, the likes on a Facebook page or the retweets or, you know, Instagram posts. I, I, I don't know how it is that you maybe measure how often you've been affirmed. But I think my generation is after being recognized, not after doing something valuable. Really interesting story in John chapter 7. Uh, if you could open up there, John chapter 7 verse 1. Let me give you the backstory of what's happening in this quick conversation. Uh, Jesus has grown massively in popularity. Crowds are starting not only to follow him around, but spread word to other towns. It's like he's created his own media circus. And he does something very interesting. In light of his rising popularity, Jesus does a quick sermon. And the quick sermon is going to make sense to you because of 2,000 years of church history and communion. But it did not make a ton of sense to the people listening then. Jesus, in light of his growing popularity and in the face of the people following him, said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. Now that was a very strange thing to say. He was seeing a bunch of people follow him. Actually, ironically, incredibly similar to how we follow people on Twitter or follow people on Instagram. I take casual note of them. I'm aware of them. I'm aware of such and such an athlete, such and such a movie star, such and such a designer maybe. Oh yeah, I follow what they do. And Jesus sees these crowds and he decides, you know what? I'm going to say something that clarifies what I'm after. I'm going to give them a little something to try and process through that will let them know what I'm about. Because if they want to follow me, that's great. But let me clarify what it means. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. Now we understand that communion is this incredible picture that we're reminded as we take bread and we drink juice or wine or whatever your background is. We're only probably ever going to do juice at HCC though. Um, that as I do that, it is this consistent reminder of the self-sacrifice of God on my behalf to draw me back to him. It reminds me of my dependency on him, his place in my life, not as a fan, but as a foundation. But when he said it then to the crowds, he knew, he knew it would be polarizing. And it did exactly that. A lot of people scattered, the gospel of John says. And so now we get to John chapter 7, verse 1, and it's Jesus with his brothers. And at this point, his brothers don't like him, okay? There have been jokes made in church for decades about how difficult it would have been to grow up with Jesus as your big brother. Honestly, probably would have been very frustrating. But at this point, they're all young men, okay? Jesus is 31, 32 years old. His brothers are a little bit younger than that. There's no record of Joseph anywhere around. So these are the men of the home, and they're frustrated, okay? Verse one. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were there looking for a way to kill him. 
So don't go to Judea. That's where the crowds are, but that's where death is. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, go, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now, a couple things you need to know about this. The Feast of Tabernacles is a national gathering for the people of Israel. Three times a year, there was a national gathering, okay? It was a sense of pride, joy, community. You would see old cousins, old friends. And three times a year, Passover, which you're familiar with, the Feast of Weeks, you're probably not, and the Feast of Tabernacles were times of the year where you would gather in as close as you could to Jerusalem and celebrate, in this case, the Feast of Tabernacles, the presence of God with the people of God. And his brothers are looking at Jesus and they're saying, dude, all you do is try and get popular and you're not going to go up to the feast. Everybody's there. All the media outlets are there. All the fan clubs are there. All the people are there. Why aren't you? Because after all, isn't that what you're after? A crowd, a name for yourself. Don't you want more popularity, more recognition? And it's this sort of live by the sword, die by the sword mentality that his brothers have. Because they're right, if Jesus wanted to go high on the radar, he should have gone up kind of significantly to this festival. We don't have anything in our culture that's a crossover to the Feast of Tabernacles. I mean, maybe the presidential election every four years, all eyes are on that, but it's just on a couple of individuals. At the Super Bowl, kind of, our whole country kind of watches that. There's nothing like this. And his brothers are saying, if you want to be recognized, why don't you get over there? Except it says that even his own brothers didn't believe in him because they were kind of hoping something would happen. One way or another, something was going to happen. He would either blow up with popularity or get beat down with rejection. And Jesus has this one interesting statement that he says back to them. And it's in verse 6. On your screens and in your Bibles, read this. Jesus says, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. This is the contrast. This is the tear that my generation has not figured out. Jesus looks at his brother and he says, I'm not after the popularity. I don't need the recognition. Matter of fact, the Gospel of John says that Jesus was careful how much himself he gave over to people because he knew people. And he knew how quickly they can turn on him. He says, my time isn't here. I'm not after adoration. I'm after redemption. And so when it's the right time, I'll do the right thing. I'm not going to be recognized in the right way. As a matter of fact, you know what, brothers? You know what? Ironically, both things that are in your head, I'm either going to be hailed as a hero or beat down as a reject. Both things are going to happen when it's my time. Is that going to make you happy? When I walk into Jerusalem the last time, they will welcome me with open arms. And by the end of the week, they'll betray me to death. So you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I was sent to do. And that's to redeem people. I don't care how much I'm popular right now. But for you, any old time will do, won't it? Because that's the extent of what you can consider. The furthest your mind can go is, I hope people recognize me as valuable. Because you don't know what it is in this world that you can do that brings value. Don't worry. When I've raised from the dead... I'll send my spirit to you and all of a sudden God will not now be dwelling amongst his people in a tabernacle. 
But God will dwell amongst his people in his people. And God will be present in this world in a very tangible way. And you'll be able to bring value. You see, being recognized as valuable is never as gratifying as doing something of value. Bringing about the eternal glory of God or the eternal good for another human being is the most valuable thing you can do. And in the light of what my current culture tries to grab at, instead of those things, I just say there's a better way. There's something past which you can conceive. And an invitation to join one of our ministries, one of our teams, to find your spot where you add to the goodness of HDC will probably bring you more satisfaction than anything else has done. I, I came to this church about a decade ago to work with junior hires. And I worked on the Victorville campus in the portable trailers by the dumpsters, okay? And I don't know if you've ever met a junior hire, but they are almost humans, okay? And year after year, I would watch teams of volunteer adults decide, you know what, instead of backing way away from a people group that a lot of you know, adults like to distance themselves from, I'm going to get real near and I'll be very present in their life. And year after year, I watched adults find a lot of satisfaction, never recognized. I mean, it'd be great if we could do a special weekend service to every single person who's invested in our babies. Are you kidding me? God bless them. Oh, in our kids ministry, in our junior hires, with our high schoolers, our parking lot teams, our security teams, our nursing team, our setup and teardown crews. Dude, you want to set up a campus at 5 a.m. in Phelan? I don't either. But they're there. These people are not recognized, but they're adding value to our community by bringing God very tangibly into our world. Now, the second thing I want to tell you is role. Not only do I think and I truly believe that if you can step into something at our church that will add value to who you are, I think it's really neat when you find your role in this world. And not just a role like a movie part, but like a a functional, like it's you, man, it's you. There are two things that I think can really honestly help you find your role. This is uh, something that is going to be difficult for us as a church because we're big. And so we're going to have to fight for it. And there are two things I'll say today. One is learn your shape, okay? Learn your shape. Now, that's a very loaded phrase. Learn your shape. You know, American culture, we're obsessed with image as well. There's this pastor, you might have heard of him. His name's Rick Warren. And he's developed this S-H-A-P-E to help his own church folks figure out what has God gifted them to do. And it's five things about you that make you you. And the first thing is S, your spiritual gift. The Bible teaches that the Spirit of God strengthens you in a very particular way to reflect the intellect, the compassion, the character, or the strength of God in this world. I believe the different spiritual gifts mentioned in Scripture in a bunch of different places, Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, that these giftings reflect the intelligence, the compassion, the um, intellect, or the, the character of God. And for example, my gift is the ability to explain things. Whether you want me to explain it or not, I'm going to. That's just the way I am. My boys love it not. <laughs> no, never mind. I'm going to keep moving. My wife's gift is very different than mine. Her gift is mercy. I, I'm, it does not bother me to speak to a thousand people. My wife loves to talk to one, preferably in a coffee shop, especially if they're low. Man, that's what God has designed her to be because that reflects part of who he is. 
He loves to be present with the low. The scripture says that a lot. Some of you guys have the gift of administration. You love to make things work because when things work, they're effective. And that's just the way you see the world. And that's the way you see things at church. And man, that is God. God had a very ordered approach to the way he created this. I love science because I believe it's the study of the intellect of God. Some of you guys have the gift of giving because God is gracious and generous. And you like to be generous. A lot of us, no, hide our wallets, lock the doors. Some of you, you're looking for opportunities. It's spelled K-U-H-L, okay? If if your gift is... (laughs) But it is. Um, No, that reflects the heart and character of God. You are spiritually gifted. And whether or not you think you're spiritually mature or not, that's another question, okay? But you are gifted to reflect the heart, the character, the intellect, or the strength of God through a divinely given spiritual gift. The next thing in the acrostic is H. It's your heart. You probably are passionate about something I'm not. I I, mean, I've talked to so many people in the last two weekends through this ministry push, and there are so many different passions in our church. That's phenomenal. That will get you closer to how your gift operates. Because watch, look at this. You've got the, the gift of administration. You love to organize things. You bring order to systems. But what do you got a passion for? You got a passion for kids? Great. We can find a spot for you on our kids' teams. No, I don't like kids at all. As a matter of fact, I was thrilled when my kids got to be teenagers because I like older humans. Okay, great. Then you might fit somewhere on our security, dispatch, medical teams that bring order, the parking lot teams, order to our campuses. That might be you. Next thing is A, abilities. I, I need to confess something to you. Um, my highest dream at HDC is not necessarily to teach. It's to play the bass. But I've got um, spiritual gift, probably a little bit of like admonishment. I'm good at cheering things on. I appreciate when the band cheers us on and our faith stirs my heart. I, man, I've got the heart for it. I love music. I've got an iPod. Okay. Um, <laughs> The system starts to break down here at the A, abilities. If I were to play bass in the weekend band, church would be less joyful, okay? It would be experimental for sure, but it would not be joyful because I don't have that ability. And you know what? I think that you've got to really humble yourself as you pursue what God has for you in the world of ministry here. You've got to be realistic with yourself. You can't just think, oh, this in my mind is what spiritually important is and equals a stage. Man, stage is not equal important. You know what? For me, when my son, who is not, my son's incredibly bright. He's an incredible human being. Street smarts and common sense mm, doesn't rate high there, okay? He went off to summer camp. It was like 113 degrees that week. We all remember that. And I was terrified my son might not come back alive, okay? You know who the most significant person to me that week was? Isaac Seeger, his camp counselor. And I was so pumped to learn it was Isaac because Isaac's a young kid, probably 20 years old. Isaac's got a heavy dose of common sense, like a dose and a half. Okay, that, that would be three if it's Spanish, dose and a half, never mind. Um, I was thrilled. For me, Isaac was the most significant person at church that week because he made sure that my son came back alive. You've got to be realistic with yourself and say, okay, God, I've got this gifting, I've got this passion, and here's my ability set. And God will honor that and use you in a way that you'd be surprised by. The P is your personality. 
I mean, I, I know church is a social thing, and we typically tend to be an upbeat church, but let's be honest, let's just say it out loud. Some of you don't like people that much. <laughs> Like you love HDC, you love what happens, you love the messages, you love the music. You don't want to have to hug a bunch of people when you're at church. You would like to slide in and slide out. You know what? <laughs> that Honestly, that parking lot ministry, I think, is as important as what happens on our stage. Because you know what they're after, right? How grumpy do you get at Disneyland when someone cuts in front of you in a line that you've been waiting a long time for? <laughs> yeah, I've been spying on you. You're not a good person. You, you get grumpy, don't you? You went to Disneyland probably to spend quality time with your family so that they're loved. It's like a way that your hearts all kind of mellow out, connect with each other. That's what Disneyland is. And when someone cuts in front of you, you get grumpy and then you're grumpy with your kids that they're hungry again. Guess what? They're going to be, you're going to spend $8,000 on food at Disneyland (laughs) because of how hungry your kids are going to be. When people come onto our campus, our goal is for them to walk through these doors and to see the heart and mind of God in a way that changes them enough to go get the world around them. And if they've been cut off in traffic, boom, their hearts are getting walled off a little bit. Maybe you think I'm making too big a deal about our parking team. Our parking lot team prepares the hearts of people so that when they get on this campus, it's not crazy, okay? If you have the personality and you're not wild about chit-chat, no big deal. That's cool. Be you. And maybe find a spot, maybe, maybe that's not it, but find a spot that allows your gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and finally this last one is your experiences. Who you are as a person and what you've walked through is a gift to us. And we gotta figure out where that is. Now I wanna say something that's very important. I need to be done so that you have time to go. But you do not have to find yourself on a roster at HDC. You don't have to wind up on an email list to be reminded to show up for such and such a team because your call is to grow the church of God. And if you're in a small group and no one recognizes your gifting, but you know that your gift is growing the people in your small group, God bless you. That's amazing. If you're a mama and you got two little ones at home and you can barely breathe in between wiping bottoms right now, and I'm sorry to use language that strong, but, <laughs> but right now, This is probably a season of life where for you to grow God's kingdom is for you to keep mothering those kids, man. That's your oikos too. But I just think, I think that, well, let me say this. The beginning of my year, I had an incredible opportunity, guys. Pastor Kurt is the lead pastor out in Apple Valley, and he's um, a study geek. And he took a team of us from the church to Greece to study the beginning of the church and I walked First and Second Thessalonians. I was in Thessaloniki. And I stood in the public, old, dug-up, archaeological square where Jason defended Paul as Paul advanced the gospel into Thessaloniki. I stood in Philippi, and we stood in the ruins of a room where Paul was beat for the advance of the gospel. I was in Athens, okay? In the foot of the Parthenon, all those famous buildings. I stood on this massive rock where Paul stood and debated with the philosophers in Athens. I was there in the baby, baby place, birthplaces of the church. And I got an email three weeks ago from my friend from college 
who sold it all, moved to a jungle in New Guinea, and decided he would learn the language of a people, teach them how to read and write it, so that he could teach them the gospel, get people saved, train elders, train teachers, translate the New Testament, and on October 9th, he is dedicating the, the New Testament to the MBMB people, and they're moving out. The gospel now exists in that place. And I've been invited because our church supports them every single month in what they do. And I'll participate in that event in October. Guys, I've seen the birthplace of the church and I'll go visit where it's still being born today. And your answer this weekend shouldn't be this year, I'll do nothing. I think the last thing I want you to write down is just try something. We're not asking you to sell it all and move to the jungle. If you do, God bless. But, but your answer this year shouldn't be nothing. Try something. Online this week, if you want to, that S-H-A-P-E thing, we've got a whole packet Download that sucker. Fill it out and see if that helps. If you download it, fill it out, and you still don't know, honest to goodness, give me a call. Come on in. I'll walk you through what it is, and I'll give you a couple of ideas. But the bottom line is, let's go get them. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help our hearts to feel confident. God, give our minds the clarity to fit where we need to. And Lord, I pray that you would help us this year to advance your name. God, it's not about filling rosters or making sure we're on a checklist somewhere. But God, it is about doing something. So Father, in these 15 minutes that we've set aside, help us to do something. Amen.